Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. But Marjorie, before you fly away, you got to get a good night's sleep, right? (laughs) (laughs) Always. And I wanted to talk about bedtime rituals with you because something very interesting happened at work with me. So a woman walked into my office. She's a friend of mine who listens to the podcast, a woman that I work with, and she's very sweet about telling me what she loves about it. She's really supportive. She's about my age. She has kids about my age. So kids in their mid to late 20s. Yeah. And she said, Marjorie, sometimes when I listen to the podcast, now mind you, she says really nice things. She said, sometimes it makes me sad. Oh, no. And (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Exactly right. And I looked at her and I said, I completely understand. (laughs) And... Here's what's happening to us in our 50s is when we hear little stories about Franklin kissing your back or just any of the sweet memories of those toddler years. When you're our age and your kids are grown up, there's a certain sense of sadness is almost too big a word. That was her word. But I think there's it's it's being a little maudlin maybe or a little like wistful. Wistful is the better word. It's you get a little wistful for those days because you know she, like me, worked outside of the home for most of her children's lives. So their lives were busy, 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 busy. And so you do, you get a little wistful for those moments and you just wish you could sort of freeze them more strongly in your mind so that they would always be there. And then you get a little little pangs of regret sort of creep in because you think, oh, I wish I had spent more time doing this. Or when my son was asking me 30 questions before he was going to go to bed, I wish I hadn't gotten impatient and yeah. said, you know what, just go to bed. Just go to bed. And so, please. Please. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that and I thought, what? And you know this with me, Elizabeth, I, I really do hate to give advice because that would somehow say to me that I did everything right and I would never have that kind of confidence. <laughs> but I thought about if I could if I could tell my 27, 28-year-old self, new mom self, what to do, what would I tell her? And it came back to bedtime. And I thought, I did okay with bedtime, but I thought I would do even better. And I would make sure that as my 50-something self, when I looked back on my children's childhoods, that I could so distinctly remember the rituals of bedtime. Oh, because that's just so sweet. I just did bedtime see? like just a little while ago. And it's so, <laughs> it's so special. It's, and you're so in it now, but it's so special. And I think that those are the times that for whether you're working inside the home or outside the home, it's that moment that if you, if you caretake it, if you really take care of it, pretty much the whole time your kids live with you, I think you would be less wistful. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny that you bring this up and that that is the starting story, which I didn't know that you were going to share until now, because tonight 
I took my kids to the pool that's across the bridge. So we load up the stroller and then I put the floaties on the side and I've got towels dangling from the back and the whole deal. And I took them to the pool and there was a woman who was on her bike and she came up behind me on my left and she appeared to be like in her fifties, maybe early sixties. And what was so funny is that I had this, you know, those like slow-mo moments when you have just right. this sort of like interaction with someone that you don't know. She might have not known that this was the interaction at all, but she came up on my left and she deliberately turned. She slowed down on her bike and turned an uncomfortably far amount where I was thinking, <laughs> please don't fall off of your bike. <laughs> You're going to crash. You're going to crash. But she turned her face to get a look at mm-hmm. the kids yeah. that were in the double stroller because I had the sunshade over. Yeah. And so in order to see them, she couldn't just see them passing by. She had to turn and look at them. And she looked at them and smiled and then turned away. I mean, she didn't look at me. She looked at yep. them and smiled. Yep. Oh. And it was such a funny little interaction because at the same time that I think she was thinking – I am just sure that she was thinking, oh my gosh, mine are grown. Right. You know, I just could feel right. that from yeah. her. I was thinking, oh my gosh, the freedom of riding your bike by yourself. <laughs> like, what is that? It's so interesting. And it's it's so funny where it just doesn't matter where you are. You can see yeah. Yeah. either what's in front of you or what's yeah. behind you yeah. as being something that seems really great. And it wasn't like in that moment I was sad about taking my kids to no, the pool. I mean, really I was no. home with them all day and yeah. we and we had a great day and it was really fun. But I do look at that solitude. Yep. When your friend says, like, sometimes she listens to it and is sad – and and I, I feel that way sometimes about solitude. Yep. It's it's just an interesting dynamic. And it is a great lesson in being appreciative of wherever you are and understanding that wherever you are is such a season. It's such but a season. It's such a season. Then I got home and, um, you know, and had to battle bedtime. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, they did pretty well because I totally tired them out. That the is pool. the key. That is the key. It's all about tiring yeah. them out. But I thought we could talk a little bit about bedtime ritual. So you just went through it. So what's your bedtime ritual with, with the kids? Well, we tend to do a bath every single night. Yeah. And I know not everybody does this, but number one, it's summer. And so they're dirty oh. beyond belief. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're little sweat monsters and their yeah. feet are dirty and they stink and they're sticky. <laughs> um, but we started doing bed uh, a bath with Bernie every single night when she developed really terrible eczema at about oh. two months. Oh. And so you had to always, with eczema, it's really important to bathe mm-hmm. every single night and so that that skin gets opened up and then can just like accept all of the moisture that you load on. Right. So we do a bath with our kids every night. And then um, generally my husband and I divide and conquer. Tonight I was on my own because he was out. So generally we divide and conquer and I take Franklin – and Jay takes Bernie, and it always involves books. They always get at least two books, and they always try to negotiate for more books. <laughs> Sometimes Jay and Bernie watch videos of cardinals and imitate their noises before they go to bed. Oh, oh. They're really into cardinals, and so he'll show her cardinal oh. videos, and then they learn about the cardinals, and they talk about the, the cardinals. Oh, um, We always have some good, solid cuddle time. And then there's, you know, teeth brushing and all of that. Um, And then every night when they go to bed, 
I always say to them, I just say one thing to them. And I always say, I love you more than the sun and the moon and the stars. Mm. And that came, which was kind of interesting because that came from, I remember years ago watching this interview that Oprah did with Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Like really out of left field. Yeah. But he, Nelson Mandela was talking about his childhood and his life and everything with Oprah. And Oprah said, what did your mother used to say to you when you were a child? Which I thought was like such an interesting question to be, to ask. Like, what did your mother say to you as a child? And she was trying to sort of get to the root of where he found inspiration to right. be such a, you know, a life changing person. And he said, she would say to me, you're going to grow up to be a wonderful person. Yep. And I thought that was just so fabulous because it just didn't say anything about like what he needed to accomplish nope, or that he needed to be something great or that he was smart or he was anything or defining him. Just whatever you grow up to be is going to be wonderful. And so with mine, and I say that to my kids a lot, um, but before they go to bed, I say, I love you more. And now, you know, Bernie will say it. I'll say, I love you more than the sun and the moon. And then she says, and the stars. Yeah. Because I just want the last thing that she hears from me every night to be that my love for her is infinite and that I just love her more than anything. And that she goes to bed feeling like she's the most special person in the world to me. Well, you know, what's interesting about sort of, I think, the things we say to our kids, almost the mantras we say to our kids. If if you have young children and you don't have things that you regularly say to your children, find some. Yeah. Because it's. I think that's such an interesting thing. You know, when my mother was growing up, my mom was a child model in Chicago in the 30s and 40s and was pretty successful. So during some of the... Um, sort of the difficult times of the depression, both she and her brother modeled and it helped the family. And on top of that, her mom put all of that money away and um, my mom ended up going to Northwestern. And so she sort of put herself through college with that. That's great. With that money, which was really cool. But my mom was really little when she was doing that. She started when she was about four. And so her grand, my grandmother used to say to her, and I love this because my mom in times of difficulty as an adult told me that she would remember her mother saying this to her. Her mom would say, I'll give you a nickel for courage. And so when my mom would have to go off and do a job, you know, because she's four. Yeah. (laughs) Her, my grandmother would say, Mary, you'll get a nickel for courage. And so when my mom hit some bumpy patches, you know, when my parents' marriage was breaking down and things like that, she said she could remember her mom's voice saying that, just a nickel for courage. And you think about, like, a 50-something-year-old woman being able to hear her mother's voice and how powerful that is. And you wonder if that's what Nelson Mandela heard when he was in prison. I know. Did that help sustain him? I mean, those are so—they seem—they don't seem little— but I think they're bigger than we know. And and you don't know when your kids will have to dig back down and use that. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think understanding that repetitive nature, you know, being able to say that and have her say it back and really just make that part of who she is, that she knows that right. is, um, is something that is really important to me. I always want is as much as my children, you know, and I've said this before, I mean, my mom always made me feel like she was excited to see me. Hmm. She's always made me feel like she wants to hear what I have to say. Oh, that's And so great. I have always felt, you know, and I think that really 
that makes a big difference. Like I've always felt like I'm a person who deserves to be seen and I'm a person who deserves to be heard. And I think, you know, I don't know if my mom was that intentional about that. I think she just really was excited to see me (laughs) and wanted to hear me. I don't think she was thinking like this long term, I must instill this in my daughter. Right. But how beautiful that is. She really wanted to see you. (laughs) No kidding. I mean, it was just a really great thing. And so even when... I love that. You know, when Bernie wakes up in the morning... When she comes in, you know, Frankie, he's, he's a wild animal and he's just turned two. And so he, I, I talk a lot about Bernie because, you know, Franklin is like, we're yeah. still in survival mode with Franklin. <laughs> right. Um, but when Bernie wakes up and the first thing she does is she comes into our room and I say, Oh my gosh, it's the best part of the day. Aww. It's the best part of the day when yeah. you wake up. Yeah. And she just beams. I mean, she's so excited because, and now as much as I don't think my mom was that intentional about that, I am really intentional about that. I right. mean, when they come home, I crouch down on the ground and just wait for them to run because I want them to know how happy I am to see them and that everything stops to because them. And then it goes into mania of like cooking something in a porch kitchen, you know, it's right. just, it goes right back to real honest. life. Well, yeah, it's interesting yeah. too. So when you talk about, or when we talk about bedtime rituals, mine were similar to yours when the kids were little, similar to in the night that my husband at the time was doing when they were little was doing a nighttime radio show. So yeah. he was gone most nights. Um, but we would do bath time, bedtime, books and music. Um, one of the things that we did, which was different than most of our friends, but that's not surprising. We did a lot of things differently <laughs> than a lot of people. Our kids shared a room, um, I think, until they were eighth and sixth grade. I can't really remember. Or they may have even titched into high school. They shared a room. And even though we had enough bedrooms to have their own room, <laughs> they shared a room. I think and that's great. It was great. And it was with intention that we in- kind of set the stage for that and then never really never really sort of offered them another room. Yeah. They just did it. And then at some point, you know, your kids are reaching six feet. It's like, yeah, okay, you guys, you need more space. But what was cool about that as a bedtime ritual, especially when they reach sort of um, like fourth and second grade, is you could read books. I read books to them late into their into their their little lives but what was cool about that is you could say good night and be less worried about are they going to sleep and they would talk and i just used to love hearing them talk to each other and that was so nice because it was quiet conversation because they knew they couldn't get out of bed it was bedtime but they weren't sleepy yet so they would talk each other to sleep and i loved that for them and they then, probably had the most deep conversations. I, you know, if they were kid conversations, which, yeah, sometimes can be pretty deep. Well, but yeah, if, because if you, like, want a new toy, it's a deep situation <laughs> to talk about how you're going to get it. I mean, it's, like, legit. When you're trying to scam candy at all times, I mean, it's intense. <laughs> that strategizing is a real deal. I love that. And if you're trying to negotiate yeah. with a brother about trying to get something that's theirs, yeah. those are lifelong lessons. And and to be honest, the other conversations were probably about their parents, that they could sort (laughs) through what the heck is with mom and dad? Like, why are they the way they are? And those two, my sons are pretty bonded. And I, I will always believe that that was part of it, 
that they were actually together for so long. And it's yeah. tricky to do, and it was right for our family. I don't know that it's right for everybody, but it was right for our family. And I think Ian was open to it because he shared a bedroom with his brothers for a very long time. I never did. And so I sort of like seeing them bond in that way. Um, well, there is something really special, too, about them just – I mean, that shared space and, you know, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot in our house is that, and, and I think this is what we want for all of our kids is that we have more than our parents did. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do you sort of figure out how to keep your kids grounded, you know, when there, when right. there are things that are just easier right. for them right? Um, that weren't as easy for us. And I mean, some of that is, you know, just that space negotiation. I think that's a good thing. It, it was a good thing for them. And, and it, it, it played out in life. That is sort of the fun of having adult children is you can see the end game. Like it, I see how that played out and I think it played out well. And then the other interesting thing when you say, tell me again what you say to Bernie and Franklin before they go to bed. I love you more than the sun and the moon and the stars. It's beautiful. Mine, I don't know. not nearly as poetic, but <laughs> every night I would say to them, and I mean every night until they went off to college that they were in our home. Like if they were friends, obviously I didn't call them to say this. But I would say, I love you, Gar Punnett. I love you, Campbell Punnett. And Aww. I would say their name. And for me, I wanted to, the beginning of the establishment of this is our tribe. Yeah. We are our people. We are a unit. We are a team. You are a Punnett. And... I just felt so strongly that they had to have with everything that was going to face them in life. And at some podcast, we're going to talk about what faces these kids because it's a lot. I needed them to know that they're a punnet and that means something. And what was interesting is Campbell and I, he's my younger son, we're having a conversation a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about college and sort of the things that face kids when they're in their late teens and early 20s, whether it's sex, drugs, you name it. Oh, my gosh. I can't even hear those words. I it know. I'm so sorry. me. <laughs> it's, yeah. <sighs> yeah. It, and, and there's a lot, I mean, between what's going on in the Internet. Anyway, I don't need to stress you out tonight. But there's a lot that your kids are going to face um, pretty much starting in middle school. And I said, you know, when you were in college, what kept you from doing any of those things? And he looked at me and he said, I'm a punnet. Oh. And I thought, okay, okay. I love that. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. And this is all goes back to bedtime because it's the time when you get to be a little quieter. It's the time where we can all put aside work was hard, school was hard, homework is hard, and just take that time. And so going back to what we were talking about at the beginning – so that you don't have to be wistful, so that you can look back and sort of really remember those connections. I think they can happen at bedtime. I just think it's so important. I totally do. I do think it's funny, though. I had a girlfriend the other day say, do you ever feel like you spend the entire day trying to get them to go back to bed? (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I said yes. I do sometimes feel that way, and it's oh. very, very funny. Yes, oh I know. Oh, my God. That's great. But there is something really great. I mean, regardless of where you are in life, I think if you have little kids or you don't have little kids, that idea of 
bedtime being a ritual and being that time to kind of wind down and reflect and then reset for the next day right. is just important and so key. Okay, so I have a I have a couple rules about the bedroom. Are Perfect. you ready for this? Yeah, I am. I really believe strongly in no television in the bedroom. Yep. And this completely contradicts what I grew up with. My parents always had a TV in their bedroom. My mom watches Andy Griffith in her bedroom to this day. And I just do not want a TV in the bedroom. And I'm fortunate my husband feel the, feels the exact same way. And this was even when we had our little tiny house and we only had one area to watch TV. Right. We – like that was it. And it was the living room. So there weren't like – it wasn't another place to go and watch something. Um, now, I'm not like – I don't say no to all screens in the bedroom. Obviously, like I have my phone in there or I look at my iPad or whatever. But I just feel like I just don't want my bedroom to be a place where there's TV. And I love TV. I mean, I have tons of TVs. <laughs> they're all over the place. I think they're great. I have a little recessed wall set up for a new TV yep. being built into the kitchen, Marjorie. I mean, there must be a TV in there. But there's something about the bedroom for me. I'm just out, no TV. I've never had one um, as an adult, and I just don't want one going forward. Do you feel that way? Oh, that was a rule for us right away when we got married. Um, my husband loves TV and loves it to be on a lot of the time. Yeah. and so He it likes a, the, the kind of the white noise a little bit. Yeah, huh? it was a little bit of a negotiation when we first got married. But he was like, okay, we just won't ever have one. And it's funny because we never did. And then we bought um, the house in Kansas. Yeah, and, and he's there primarily. Yeah, and there, the the guy that had lived there before us had put a TV up in the corner, hanging in the corner. And when yeah. he sold us the house, he left us all the TVs. And I will say when I go visit, it feels really um, luxurious because we never had that. You and feel like you're in a hotel I room. Do. That's the only time you're in a place with a TV in the I bedroom. I do. And I... It makes me realize what a great decision it was to have a ne never have a TV in the bedroom. Yeah. It was it already really has – What? Well, it's just better for your sleep too, right? It's better I mean, for if your you sleep. go to sleep, like I cannot go to sleep with a sleep timer on a TV. No. It just – I just can't do it. I have to have it off. The light bothers me. Even if I'm in bed and Jay's looking at his phone next to me, I'm like, okay, I have to turn away because right. I just can't handle It's just the light not a good it. thing. It's not a good yeah. thing for a marriage. It really – I really – I'll just say that. I don't think it's a good thing for a marriage to have a TV in the bedroom. Um, when I go live in Kansas – We'll have to chat probably about the TV in the bedroom. Um, I don't think – I think it's a horrible thing for kids totally. to have a TV in their bedroom. I just think yeah. that's just not a good thing at all. So I'm – TVs out of the bedroom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, decluttering the nightstand is another big that's a good thing one. that I really think can help you just like feel more zen. And I read about this um, – I don't know if it was like when I was kind of looking into the Marie Kondo method or what it was, but that there should just be – a book on your nightstand and that's it. And maybe like a cup of water. So we have really small nightstands that's and, good. um, we have lamps that sit on them. I have excessively large lamps on small nightstands. So it takes <laughs> up a lot of space and there's really only room for the book and that's it. And then the phone that sits on the charger, which I know I shouldn't do anyway, but I still do oh, it. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and then even inside the nightstands, there just isn't a ton of stuff. And I think like, 
it's just so easy to pile crap on the night. It's just so easy to pile stuff anywhere, right? right? I mean, I just think if you can declutter that one space, the nightstand is really great. And then the other thing um, that I really love in a bedroom, and my mom really instituted this in us, and I have this – I've got to, like, reconfigure our room a little bit because of our rug situation, but something soft to land on. So when you put your feet down – off of the bed, like I love having little sheepskin rugs, right? Just small, oh. just right there where you put your feet down. In Bernie's room, she has a big one um, that's right next to her bed. Oh, I like Or that. whatever it is that is something, I mean, it could be, I don't know if you like like memory foam or whatever you like, but just like something soft so that when you put your feet down, it's a pleasant and not jarring experience in the morning. <laughs> I love that. That's actually, that's a great idea. I don't have that. That's really cool. And your mom suggested that? Yeah. She always has like soft sheepskin rugs by the beds. So when you get out, I think that's sort of like a Nordic thing too, you know, like because you would have hardwood floors and then you would just put something soft down. I'm trying to get in the habit of making my bed every day because I also feel like a part of a bedtime ritual is getting into a bed that was made. Currently, my bed is not made. And when I get into it, it will not be made. And it won't feel as good as if it was made. You know, I did that. I I tried that once to tell myself, make your bed every day. Make your bed every day. I lasted about five days. (laughs) But those five days, I loved. That's one of the weirdest. (laughs) Like, it's one of the weirdest things. It feels the best five days of my life. (laughs) That I really loved. Why can't I make myself do that? It takes... Truly about three minutes. Well, and they say that it's like a real motivator for you that that there's something in your psyche about being able to accomplish one thing <laughs> and make it great at the beginning of the morning sets okay. you up for that feeling of motivation okay. to accomplish other bigger things. <laughs> I don't know. And by they, I mean just random researchers, but I know I read that somewhere. <laughs> Elizabeth, can we make a pact that we're going to make our bed tomorrow? If it's going to yes. start our day feeling like we've accomplished something, I think yes. we can do this. Because it really it was a great five days. And then it just totally. sort of falls apart. Okay. Look at the military. I mean, they're yeah. making the beds. You're doing serious corners on your bed. <laughs> you better make the bed. So Okay, we're going to do that. You make your bed yes. tomorrow, okay? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Okay. You do it too. So I went to the experts on bedtime rituals for children. And so I'm just going to tell you those because there was something interesting in this that I don't think I know I didn't do and I don't think you're doing. So they say turn off the electronics. Yes. Yeah. Except if you're making cardinal noises, which is just too cute. You got to keep the electronics on. I know. That's kind of cute, right? It's too cute. You can't. They, they need electronics for that. I think they would sanction that one. <laughs> um, have true connect time. And this goes back to what I was talking about in terms of not looking back wistfully at your children, at your children growing up, is I think, I think our lives are so busy that you have to release an hour to an hour and a half to bed. Yeah. Like, I think you just have to sort of get into the mental game that this is a big part of my night mm-hmm. so that you can go into it without trying to rush it. And, of course, that's oh, not going to be every night. But I think that's a mental shift I did make somewhere along the way of just this is what it's going to be and enjoy it and connect. Then the other thing that experts suggested that it was in this one parenting article – it said, teach your children, and they call it hot chocolate breathing. Ooh, what's this? So you, it says you tell Do we get little... to drink hot chocolate? What's happening? No. <laughs> so I'm just going to read right from the article. It says, tell your little one to cup their hands as if they're holding a big mug of cocoa. 
Tell them to imagine breathing in deeply, to inhale the drink's aroma, and then exhale deeply as they are blowing over the top to cool the drink off. Oh, that's great. What I love about that is it's just such a simple, imaginative way to teach kids to breathe. For sure. So I love that one. Never did that one. And Even then, as you were talking about deep breathing, I started breathing deeper. Yes. And it's such a good little mindful lesson that if your kids started doing that when they're your age, when you're, they're your kid's age, how great would that be for them? Yeah, that's really awesome. That's a great idea. I love that. Yeah. And then the other one was greet the moon. And it said, this time-honored yoga pose can help kids stretch it out before bed, allowing them to relax more easily. Standing tall, reach up to the ceiling together and breathe deeply. Then exhale and let your body and arms swing to touch the floor. Repeat it several times. It's such a good idea. My kids at um, daycare, they do sun salutations all the time. Oh, yeah. And they've been doing a lot of like little yoga poses and yoga moves. And they're finding, I think, that it's just really helping the kids because I was doing... Um, a little forward fold the other night and mm-hmm. my daughter said, what are you doing, mom? I said, I'm stretching. I'm just tight. I'm stretching. She said, I will show you some stretches. Oh. I'll show you my yoga. Oh. And then she did a little downward dog and then put her <laughs> leg up in the air and it was just the cutest thing. And she was telling me about sun salutations and I think they sing some little song with oh, it. But I love great. that idea at the end of the night of doing that greet the moon. Anything that involves just a little ritual. And, and, you know, those things are really important to just wind down and have that connection. But I also think Marjorie, it makes bedtime a lot easier. Like yes. I kind of get on this with Jay a little bit sometimes. Don't tell him. Okay. Hopefully he won't listen to this that, um, you know, he, he'll go, ah, this, this got out of control and blah with whatever with bedtime. And I said, well, you know, you didn't stick to the routine. Yep. And it's like he kind of thought, okay, it'd be fun to just do something different. Nope. Or they didn't really want to go to bed. They didn't wind down. And so it was like I just kept him up and I kept doing this. And I just said, you know, it drags on when you don't stick to the routine. And then you're all of a sudden like now you need to stick to the routine. And then they don't know what to do. I mean, so when you have these things sort of built in as we do this and then we do this and then we do this, they know what to expect and it just makes the whole process better. They and thrive easier. in it. They absolutely thrive. I mean, we had, for the boys growing up, they had the same bedtime for years. Yeah. And it was non negotiable because for a lot of those years I was by myself. So it was non negotiable. Mm-hmm. And they get used to it, you know, and then it becomes, I think, I think in a lot of ways, and this is not brilliant, but it becomes comforting. It totally does. And if you can get bedtime under control, then you have more time to connect and, you know, like watch The Bachelor or something together. <laughs> That's right. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So let's say hello to Fit to the Core Mama. She gave us a little review. She says, as a mother of a 22-month-old and a four-year-old, I cannot get enough of your podcast. They make me laugh. They make me cry. And more importantly, they validate everything I'm feeling and experiencing right now and make me realize I'm not alone. Oh, I love that. I do too. And please reach out to us. You can find us both on Instagram at Best of the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Good night, Elizabeth. Good 